Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 1st, the Playground Beer Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate. I'm the author of How to Be a Family, which is coming soon. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 11. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire. And I am mom to Henry, who will be 18 this week. My son, Teddy, is 16 and a half. And my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. I am Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, uh, communication strategist, and mom to Naima, who is six going on 60. And you are currently Brooklyn, but on your way to L.A. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we've got a question from a divorced dad who is trying to get through his introversion to help his child hang out with friends. And some atheist parents who are struggling with their local evangelical university. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations and a great Slate Plus segment. But first, let's start out with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, what do you have for us today? I've got a triumph. My wonderful son, Teddy, just returned from a week away at, um, don't laugh, band camp, <laughs> which he I would loves. never laugh. It was a formative no, experience for me. It is. This is his like fourth year going. It's a wonderful music program run by the University of New Hampshire. And it's a week long. And basically the kids all live in dorms. And then they um, when they get there, they audition for their ensembles. And he was planning on majoring in voice, but like brought his bass with him and was just hoping against hope to get into one of the jazz bands. And he ended up getting into the best jazz band and had to then major in bass and minor in voice, which was very exciting for him, even though he loved Loves both. So we went to his concerts last weekend and saw him perform. And it really is wonderful when your kid is into the arts and they get into an environment where they're with like all the other best kids in the state, you know, for singing and instrumental playing and stuff, because it, just the enthusiasm for what they do. It's one thing to be a musician in your own little school. It's another thing to sort of get with kids who are as into it and as good at it or better than it, better at it than you are. It like really elevates the whole experience. And he just came home from this camp and was like, I was like cool there. <laughs> and I was just being myself. And like everybody was just like cool with me and how weird I am. And everybody else was weird. And it was so great. And everybody was not weird. Everybody was actually really cool. And it was just, it's the best. It's such a refreshing experience for a kid like Teddy to have who, you know, he kind of goes through the world trying to find his place and figure out who he is. And he just gets to spend this week long experience knowing exactly who he is and being super comfortable with it and also like playing some great bass licks in a jazz band and singing at the same time so it was really really wonderful I'm so proud of him and so excited that he's still really enthusiastic about going to this camp and even though he's going to be coming out of his junior year next year he's all in again (laughs) he definitely wants to go back and so it kind of continues the wonderful tradition that is uh, music camp in our family I'm really 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 excited about it so that's my triumph for the week that's totally great. And I mean, like the music, uh, the music part is obviously great. And I had some really formative sort of early artistic experiences when I went to band camp when I was I mean, starting in seventh grade, but also just like the, the ability to be around a bunch of people who are passionate about the same shit as you and who are pursuing it at a high level uh, is so socially valuable. You know, like Lyra mm. just went to writing camp this summer and writing camp is like the only place she has ever goes where everyone there is her people. And she immediately has a bunch of friends and she is like a suddenly social creature and just to like watch her flower in that environment is so totally remarkable. Yeah. Agreed. Jamila, how about you? What do you have for us today? A triumph or a fail? Well, I I guess I have a fail. I always thought of myself as a pretty good conversationalist. People usually like talking to me, but um <laughs> 
As I've mentioned before, my daughter has relocated to L.A. uh, in advance of me. She's been there for almost a month at this point. And so we talk by phone and FaceTime pretty much every day, which is great. And it's cool that she doesn't, you know, we used to only FaceTime. And now, like, we can talk on the phone. You know, she's six. I love to see her face, but sometimes that can be a little bit challenging. So we can just have a conversation, you know, like like two ladies just talking. And the other day we were chatting and and I was enjoying it. And then she says, well, mommy, I got to go. I said, oh, you know, what's up? You got something to do? And she was like, no, I'm just ready to hang up. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so sorry that your dear mother that's speaking to me is an inconvenience, you know, that that you only have but so much time to gift me with. (laughs) I, the person who gave you life. And I wish that we had been on FaceTime because I would have done a little symbol that, um, uh, a little gesture with my hands that she's seen many times over the years. And it's funny because she's very fascinated by the um, the what typically was like the symbol for OK. That's now the white power symbol where you oh, right, put right. your fingers up. <laughs> and so it's a little bit similar. She's always asking about that. And anytime she says some sees someone say OK, she's like, are they doing the bad thing? Are they doing the bad thing? <laughs> it's like, no. But I, I take my um, pointer finger and my thumb and I make a tiny little circle. And I said, Naima, what is that small? And she'll say, a vagina. I said, right. And I said, and there's one person, one human being on this planet who can say that they pushed you out of one. (laughs) One. And yet you don't want to talk to me on the phone. I'm boring on the phone, apparently. So that, that's um, my, my failure. <laughs> that's my shame. It is really funny that it's just like kids often don't know how to like extricate themselves from things in what would, you know, seem to us like the polite way to do it. Right. If you're on the phone with someone and you just don't want to talk to them anymore, you just lie and say, yeah. oh, I got to go. <laughs> gotta Someone's at the door. Uh, <laughs> but kids don't know to do that. Yeah. They don't have social graces yet. They don't have a filter. Yeah. It's just like you, you are boring me now. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm done. When I was in college. <laughs> there was um, this girl who would call my roommate um, and he, he just didn't like her very much. And he didn't understand why he kept, call- why she kept calling him. And, uh, and so we had a thing that we would do, which is that when she would call after like five minutes, he would like gesture toward me and I would go out in the hall and yell, Jonathan, I need your help in here. Oh. And then he could be like, oh, I got to go. Sorry. <laughs> and we speculated that she must have thought that he was living like with an idiot oh. uh, mm. who just like couldn't accomplish anything by himself, like who couldn't flush the toilet or like on his own or whatever. Oh. What a world before cell phones being the norm. I know. There are people that are probably married to their version of that woman because there was nothing that they could figure out to do to That's avoid right. the call. And the next That's thing right. they know, they're walking down the altar. Yeah. Yep. That's what happened back in the day, kids. Don't go back to that world. Uh, all right. I have a uh, triumph this week. Um, it is a, uh, I think... A social triumph um, on behalf of our family writ large and Harper uh, on a small scale. So Harper has been suffering quite a bit in the last year or so from uh, what I think of as like friend atrophy. Um, I mean, so middle school is a time for a lot of kids when you sort of start to shed some of your elementary school friends or the kids you've known for a lot of years, but you're maybe outgrowing a little bit and then you make new friends and Harper has been in the unfortunate position, I think, of being the one who's been shed by a bunch mm. of different girls who she, mm. who were really important to her and who she really liked a lot. And so, you know, a lot of her fourth and fifth grade friends are like no longer really tight with her at all. Um, I'm sure that us being away for a year didn't help that at all. But also, I just think, you know, it's like a natural process. Right. Um, so, you know, so like the friend who she used to do playdates with every week is now just always busy or the friend that Harper used to text all the time is will now like take a full day before she responds with like, yeah. Um, and Harper is really sensitive to this and she feels upset about it a lot. Um, you know, she's a kid who always wants to be doing something with people and she really thrives when she has had a whole big network of buddies to hang out with or talk to or just to sort of have in her life. And she's trying to make new friends. Um, and, you know, Harper is a very 
outgoing, garrulous, fun kid. And I have no doubt that eventually she will find those new friends and she will have success there. But right now she's sort of like right in the middle. And it really has been breaking my heart to see her pining after these old friends and, and still like waiting to find the new ones. And I know I can't like force other kids to be friends with my kid. And it's not my job to police that. Um, but I did want to try and find a way to maybe reinforce a little bit some longstanding friendships that she's had with kids who it seemed to me weren't like actively trying to step away from her, but mm -hmm. were just finding themselves busy and unable to like really make it happen. So there were these two girls, um, from two different families, two separate friends of Harper's. I will call them Jill and Jenny. Um, mm. and, they both ended up at different middle schools from Harper. They shared a lot of elementary school and in one case nursery school, but now they're at different middle schools. Um, we really like both their families. We've done things with both their families before, but with new schools and new interests and travel soccer and whatever, it just meant that it was really hard to get everyone together. And Harper had not seen either of those girls in months. And she was really sad about it. Um, and you know, I would spend a lot of time like texting the parents being like, Oh, can we get the girls together? Can, Jill come over? Can Jenny come over? And it just wasn't working out. And it struck me that maybe a thing to do to foster these friendships is not to like force them into a play date together or to like endlessly pepper their parents with trying to get those two together, but to just get our families together in a way that would allow for, you know, like a more casual, sustained hanging out. So Ali and I actually both had a had a triumph. Alia's triumph was that she coordinated with Jill's mom to have the girls go to the same day camp for two weeks this summer, which means that so now Harper is 10 days into just hanging out with Jill every day, uh, you know, uh, in cars on the way there and cars on the way back and at camp. And after camp, we took Jill to a baseball game and Harper stayed over at our house last night. And they've had like a really great time together. And the families have gotten along really well together. And I think this is sort of like a formative experience that those two can maybe build a new older kid friendship on. But with Jenny, the other girl, it was tougher. Harper and Jenny were like best friends, like inseparable in second and third grade. Um, but Jenny, you know, just has a whole different life now at a different school with different activities. And she still likes Harper. And I talked to Jenny's mom about it, but she just told me that she just sort of feels awkward because she doesn't have that many things. She worries she doesn't have things in common with Harper. So she's not sure what to talk about. Um, and so there was like a string of canceled play dates and stuff. And Harper was feeling really glum. And I was feeling glum too, because we really liked Jenny's parents. And we also sort of wanted to be friends with them. But that's hard too, right? Like becoming friends with other grownups is just like unbelievably complicated and difficult, I find. It's been like the story of our adult lives. I feel like mm. we should do a whole show just on that sometime. Um, but so anyways, I sort of tried to fight through all the um, like weird feelings I was having about this. And instead of just like constantly edging around this question of, oh, what's up, do you think, with Jenny and Harper, I just decided to be straight with them. So I just called her and said, look, you know, Harper misses Jenny and we would like to be better friends with you guys. So can we all just please get together and meet at the pool and have dinner one night? We will bring dinner and Harper and Jenny can swim together because we know they definitely have that in common. Uh, and so we did it. We, they said, yes, we would love to. And we met at the pool and we ate kebabs and the adults all drank wine. And we talked about, you know, like how our parents are old and in bad health of things that middle-aged people talk about. Um, and Harper and Jenny like played joyously in the pool for hours. And at the end, we all agreed that it was super fun and we should do it again before the summer was over. And I'm hopeful, you know, I'm, I don't know if Harper and Jenny will be friends with each other, you know, five years from now, but I made a really fun thing happen with her friend now, and it was obviously meaningful to her, and it was meaningful to us too. So anyways, Jenny's parents, if you're listening, I meant it. We like you. We want to be friends. Let's make it happen. So you were explicit about what you wanted, and right. it worked. And it worked. It's <laughs> so crazy. How months of like vague texts... <laughs> expressing concern didn't do it, but just asking for what you want did do it. Well, Remarkable. Wow. 
Harper can also call me if she's lonely because I have <laughs> <laughs> I have been rejected by my You'll friends and my daughter, so <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> It's so hard making friends when you're an adult and when you're a kid. It's so hard making friends. It sucks. It sucks. (laughs) All right. Let's, uh, Let's do some business. What do you say? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It is the best place to find out about new mom and dad are fighting episodes, plus Karen feeding, ask a teacher, and all our other parenting coverage. Plus, every week, it's just like a personal email that I send out to 2,750 of my closest email friends. Uh, it's really fun. You should sign up for it at slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, leave us a message, 424-255-7833, or just email us the question at slate.com. And check us out on Facebook. Uh, just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a really fun community, 10,000 members strong, with a, you know about a dozen active, interesting discussions going on at any given time about all kinds of different parenting issues. Uh, and I wield a heavy hand in banning people, especially assholes. So it's pretty cool. It's a good place on Facebook, as Facebook goes. Join up, Slate Parenting on Facebook. In Slate Plus today, we are talking about a care and feeding column from this week about what to do when your partner's or co-parent's parenting philosophy differs from your own in some dramatic way. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Look, it would be nice if we could force our partners to do things exactly the way we want them to, the way we do. Okay, it wouldn't really be nice. It would be terrible. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is Slate's membership program. It's a great way to support the work that Slate.com does. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad Are Fighting, this very podcast, and also your other lesser favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other lesser Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. All right. Let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We've got two listener questions today. Let's start with the first one. This question was emailed to us. If you would like to email us your questions, send them to momandad at slate.com, and your question could be read like this one by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Hey, mom and dad are fighting. I'm the father to a sweet, somewhat rambunctious, very social, seven-year-old boy. His mom and I are divorced, and we split custody 50-50. I'm struggling a bit in fostering his friendships with other kids. I found that after we split during his preschool years, it was hard for me to maintain the uh, few regular playdates he would have. I also struggle with setting up playdates for selfish reasons. I only see him 50% of the time, so it's hard for me to give up family time, even if it's not always quality family time. Some of it is probably gendered. My impression is that a lot of this stuff gets organized more among moms rather than dads. 
I wonder if some of my social anxiety and lack of close friendships came about because my parents didn't do much of this kind of playdate stuff or other activities to help me develop close relationships with other kids. I don't really know how to navigate these waters socially. I often get a sense of at least a few kids with whom he gets along with, but I don't know how to set anything up. Do I just ask? Do you just see if someone wants to go to the park at the same time as us? Or are there activities that make this kind of thing easier? I also care deeply about him being exposed to kids of different racial and economic backgrounds. How do I help foster relationships with kids who are not like him in the background without being totally weird and singling out one of the few parents of color at school? We are not in a particularly diverse neighborhood, although that may change with a planned move this fall. If we do end up somewhere more diverse, any thoughts on how to foster neighborhood-based relationships? Thanks, introverted dad. Friendship again. I know, this question sounds <laughs> so familiar, hard. introverted dad. Kids and friends are a fantastic source of parental anxiety. Uh, I have a lot of things to say about this, but the first short answer I would give you is, yes, you just have to bite the bullet and reach out to people. You get parents' phone numbers for the kids that you're son likes. You get them from your school if they'll share them. Um, often many schools have a uh, family directory that's e either an online app or a physical, you know, little three ring binder piece of paper they send out. Um, you or you get them from them directly. You send a kid along with your note for them to send home with the other kid that says, hey, this is Billy's dad. Can you please send over your number so we can get the kids together? Or you just meet them on the playground and you you know, summon up your courage and you say, hey, uh, I'm Ralph. Our kids get along great. Can I get your phone number so we can set up a play date? I know that it is hard and awkward, but one thing that is useful to remember is that everyone else finds it hard and awkward too. Like if you can hear the three of us, three fairly extroverted podcast hosts, and even we find it weird and awkward, uh, you can certainly find it, find a way to do this. Um, so that's the first thing I have to say to you. You just got to do it. Yeah, you got to do it. Um, and you and you can't let the fact that you – the wonderful fact that you treasure your limited time with your son uh, so much stop you from making this effort. I love that you want to spend time with him when you have time together. But he absolutely wants to and needs to be playing with other kids and making friends and having those experiences. So, yes, you have to do it. What do you guys think? I just want to jump in and, and briefly say I can totally empathize with that. Um, even though I have my daughter a bit more than 50 percent of the time, you know, when custody is shared, you miss your kid. You know, like no matter how much they get on your nerves, no matter how tired you are, you know, when they fall asleep, when they hit the door and they're gone for a few days or for a week, you can't help but to really miss them. And so I know I, I'll admit that I'm guilty of also struggling um, to force myself to create opportunities for my child to hang out with other kids when she's with me because I'm like, but we could be doing things. It's our time. <laughs> um, so I would maybe just add if there are people in his world um, that have children that maybe not kids that his kid goes to school with. They may, they may not be exactly the same age, but they're close enough in age that they can enjoy each other's company and, you know, play with limited adult interaction without, you know, without any sort of problem, maybe consider trying to create opportunities to hang out with them, too. So colleagues or, you know, college buddies that may be in the area um, that he's not immediately thinking of for this sort of thing may be another way uh, of making this a little bit better so that he's not having to have those awkward for social interactions with new adults, but that he can maybe have some quality time with adults that he wouldn't get to see very often otherwise or get to see under social uh, circumstances. There's also, I think, the factor here of the newly single parent. You know, this he's not wrong that a lot of this, like, social engineering between kids uh, is run by moms in a lot of communities. He's not oh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a thing when you first get divorced and you're suddenly a single parent and you are now trying to re-navigate these things that used to seem like they just happened. And then you're also carrying with you the fact that, like, you only know part of the pattern of it. You don't know the whole thing because you never had to do the whole thing before. So I think it's okay to like give yourself a little bit of a break for feeling like this is new and hard because it is new and hard. But you have a big advantage here in that <laughs> this is terrible. 
But there is a terrible, terrible thing in the world where people just like to help and like be nice to dads more than they like to help and be nice to moms. That's just true. Like you'll get more credit just for like being in the world with your kid as a dad than you will as a mom. You've probably experienced people saying like, oh, look at you. You're such a great dad when Mm -hmm. you're literally doing exactly the same shit like their mom does all the time. Um, So you can actually use that and you can actually probably approach this group of parents and say, hey, I'm a newly single dad. I'm new to this whole play date making game. Do you guys have a system? Do you have a Facebook group? Do you have an email chain? Do you have like a little school phone book? Uh, I don't know where that is. If there is one, can you help me? I guarantee you um, that these this community of parents will want to help you. And, you know, if you sort of express the, honestly and transparently what it is you're trying to do and why, there's an excellent chance you might find other parents who are in similar kind of awkward situations who might be like, oh, thank goodness you said something because I also don't know how to do this. I'm also newly single. I'm also hapless. I also am not the parent who usually does it and I would like to be more involved. And you can maybe find some people there for yourself too because I think that there is – You know, when you have kids this young, we just heard Dan talk about it. There's an awesome opportunity to make adult friends when you get your kids together with other families' kids. There really is because this is the age where, you know, the kids aren't able to call each other and make plans and do things. And there might be an opportunity to get together just with other families in a large group at the park or, you know, go to one of those like kid-oriented movie theaters or something and also get to know people for you because to me like a lot of this also sounds like you maybe need to get out in the world a little bit you have expressed interest in being part of a more diverse community you have sort of an image of what you want your kids social experience to be like and you feel like you're on the outside of it and maybe part of that answer is to get in and be a part of it with other adults as well i think that's a really important point and i also heard a lot of that um in this question I know that it might seem hard and daunting, but it is a real opportunity here. All right, introverted dad, I hope that this was somewhat helpful. Uh, if you, listener, would like us to be somewhat helpful about your problem, email us at momandad at slate.com. All right, time for our second question, once again read by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, my husband, toddler son, and I live in the conservative southern city we both grew up in. There is a large growing evangelical university, Liberty University, that we mostly ignored growing up. Today, it is much bigger than it was when we were kids and is now a major presence here. It offers the city's only ice skating rink, a fake ski slash snowboarding mountain, sports teams to watch and theater to go see. It also is extremely pro-life, actively suppresses gay students, promotes carrying guns on campus, and is developing in a way that is negatively changing the character of the city, hurting our natural resources, and degrading the city's tax base. My husband and I are atheists and don't agree with what the university stands for or supports and refuse to patronize them. This was easy as childless adults, but as my kid gets older and hears about fun activities there, I'm wondering how I will explain why we purposely don't go to events or spend money at these places. I'm perfectly willing to drive an hour to take him ice skating somewhere else and to find plenty of other fun things to do in the area. But I'm conflicted about whether we should let him go with another family if invited or what I would say to that family when it's possible they're graduates. Should I reconsider, grip my teeth and have fun with my kid? Thank you. You know, I um, if there's one thing that we can learn from the monsters of Liberty University (laughs) it's to be steadfast about holding to our values. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we do not engage with this campus under any circumstances. You know, I understand that, yes, that that means going out. You have to go to Richmond or Charlottesville, um, which are about almost two hours, hour and 15 minutes away, respectively, or even going a little bit further away to D.C. to find stuff to do. But if you have the means to do so, it's absolutely worth it. I, I think that there are institutions that are complicated, 
right? There are a lot of public and private universities that have hosted really horrible people on campus or have them on staff or as, you know, visiting lecturers. And you can say, okay, well, I have a really, I have trouble with you having, you know, this white supremacist person um, or, or, you know, this person who's got notoriously anti-LGBT attitudes on campus, but there are all these other phenomenal things that you've done to pour into the community. Whereas Liberty University has an almost singular distinction in that everything that they've poured into the world and, and, and that their founder and, and his son have contributed to the world, um, especially in this moment in history, you know, with uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. being an important person in uh, President Trump's life and, and some of the characters that he's uh, helped to surround him with, that it this just isn't the time to um, to make concessions of that sort. And as your child becomes old enough to to have that conversation about what values and and morals and ethics mean, this is a really wonderful opportunity to explain those things to them, you know, and it may be the case that as they grow up, they choose to relocate, you know, Um, or to say, okay, well, I'm going to go to UVA and and stay in Charlottesville and I'll be in the area, but, you know, I'll be in a community that is, you know, extremely diverse and has decided to be um, and is, you know, working toward embracing uh, tolerance and acceptance and understanding of different people and different backgrounds. And, you know, I I don't want to be in a space where I can't go to the skating rink or I I don't want to go to, you know, a a concert that's happening down the street because of um, who's hosting it. And as far as talking to the parents, you know, depending on the situation, like we said earlier, sometimes you just got to lie. You know, we've got something else to do that day. We're going to Chuck E. Cheese where, you know, our family's going to our church home, you know, or I I wouldn't necessarily feel compelled to get that deep with them, particularly if these are classmates, parents, you know, or parents of someone that your child is friends with and you want them to be able to maintain that friendship. But as your child gets older and is exposed to the values that you want them to have, whether they, you know, get a deep um, understanding of, of what's wrong with Liberty University or not, they are going to, you know, hopefully be children that believe in racial diversity and, you know, the diversity of sexual identity and orientation and the rights and freedom that everyone uh, in, in those groups of, of people should be entitled to have. And when they come across kids that don't see the world that way, they're going to have conversations about it, you know, and, and that's something that you're going to have to deal with that may come up. Or, or when one of these kids says something, you know, beyond like, let's go to the skating rink, but like, why do you have a rainbow on your shirt? Or my mom said two, mo- you know, two women can't be mommies, that that's wrong. Um so I think there's, a, you know, some other things to consider that I'm sure that as a family you already have in relation to your proximity to this institution. But I think it's important, especially because you don't want your child to be unclear, to think that condemning um, homophobia or racism or white nationalism or, you know, some of the other values that come from that place that that's negotiable, you know, that there's a time and place and it's okay as long as it's just a skating rink. You know, we're not going to mm. church there. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to a rally where they're going to talk about that stuff because it's always present. It's always in the air. It's going, it affects who they hire. It affects who they allow to be students there, who is, you know, profiled or treated well on campus, who speaks there. And, you know, it is certainly a place that you can feel very proud of staying away from. Amen to everything you said. <laughs> because what's interesting to me about this mom's quandary is she frames it that she and her husband are both atheists. That doesn't matter in this instance. This is not a question of whether or not you believe in God or not and mm-hmm. want to intersect with a religious institution or not, because this university is not a religious institution. This university is using religion to as as sort of a cloak to normalize anti-civil rights points of view. And the reason why this university is making these facilities available to your community is to try to normalize these points of view that are not 
I mean, I think it's very easy for me, even as somebody who works in journalism and, you know, it doesn't talk about politics publicly. There's a difference between a political and a religious point of view and what's right and what's wrong. And if you are comfortable saying that bigotry is wrong, uh, that racism is wrong, that some of the values espoused by Jerry Falwell and his family are wrong, the ones that have nothing to do with whether or not one believes in God or not, then you should absolutely not give this institution a penny of your money or a moment of your time. And you should be extremely transparent and clear about why to your kids, because it's not any different than you saying to them that you shouldn't use racial epithets because it's wrong, that you shouldn't be discriminating against people who are gay or different in any way because it's wrong. There is a difference here, a very clear difference between um you know, what's right and what's wrong. And if it's in line with your values, you should be incredibly comfortable just talking about it, just openly. You know, if there were a restaurant in your town that didn't serve uh, a certain segment of the population, you would be very comfortable uh, never going to that restaurant and telling your kid why you don't go. This is the same as that. It's just bigger. And don't for a second think that they're not trying to normalize their points of view by letting kids skate in their ice rink because they are. That is what's happening. Um, And I think there's also a fear here. I think you talked about it, Jamila, about like your kids' social interactions with other kids whose parents do, you know, let them go skating at Liberty and perhaps, you know, have more of a connection with university or work there or whatever. I personally am not scared uh, when I've really worked with my kids on our family's values to let them go out in the world and be proud of the values that I've taught them. I'm not scared of that. The same way that the students or that the kids who are, you know, children of people who might be involved with university, uh, their parents are not afraid to let their kids go in the world and fly their values flag. So you shouldn't be afraid of that either. You can do nothing but make the world better by being very clear with your kids about what is right and what is wrong and why. And I think that's what you're doing when you say we're willing to drive an hour to skate somewhere else because that place is bullshit. Because it is. It's actually bullshit. So plant the flag, stand by it, and don't move it. You know what's not bullshit? (laughs) What? Liberty Mountain Snowflex Center, specializing (laughs) in year-round mountain activities. Blast down one of our three Nevaplast tubing runs or ski or snowboard in all four seasons on our Mm. Snowflex slopes. Why do they make that? Why? It looks fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus they have tubing year-round, guys. Mm. All right. Here is my <laughs> feeling on this matter. Um, you two are correct, of course. Um, and it strikes me that the letter writer knows that and 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 is maybe looking for affirmation more than they are thinking that what they really actually need to do is grit their teeth and go to this institution that stands against everything that they stand for. Um, I would not quail really at just becoming known among the parents in your community as one of the people here in Lynchburg who thinks liberty is bullshit and who doesn't do stuff at liberty. Like, own it, you know? Let your kids own it. As as you guys have said, let your kids stand by the values that you are instilling in them. Um, and I think a, a helpful side benefit of that is that it will very quickly put you into social contact with the other parents in Lynchburg mm. who feel exactly mm. the same way, who are also looking for things for their kids to do that are not the fucking awesome Liberty Mountain Snowflex Center <laughs> or the incredible LaHaye Rock Wall open to all members of Liberty LaHaye Recreation and Fitness. But there are other things to do in Lynchburg, I assume. And so you will find those other parents who also do not want to do these things, who do not want to participate in the life of the university. And one way to find them is by just becoming known as those parents. And you don't, like, have to be a dick about it. You can lie sometimes if it strategically makes sense to lie. But I really urge you, honestly, to just go ahead and tell the truth, to just be like, I'm sorry, we just don't. We don't agree with Liberty's politics and the things that they stand for. And so we, we don't participate in events there. You know, thanks for the invitation, but we're going to pass. You know, that goes a long way. And I, I think in the end, your family will only be better and happier if you stick by what you believe in this case. <laughs> You're totally normalizing the snow thing. 
<laughs> but see, no, I'm their not wrong. Their theater season though, right? looks really good too. They're <laughs> doing Bright Star. They're doing the Drowsy Chaperone. Um, they're doing Parade. They have an adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. I just maybe, maybe like, could you support just the theater no. department? In yeah. case, no, like, gay kids uh, at the theater department I was department just going to say, bad. imagine what a great theater department that is with no, oh, <laughs> with, with no gay kids, quote unquote. Well, but there and aren't, no it's not that there's no gay kids in the theater oh, department. The, right. It's that, it's that they're, they're doing their best to survive a very difficult situation. In, in doing my rabbit hole research about Liberty University before I felt comfortable coming on this podcast and talking shit about it today, um, I did come across a piece written by Slate's Ruth Graham a couple years ago about students protesting some of the ideologies at Liberty mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's a way to support those kids, if they put on some show not on campus and you don't have to pay the university to go see it, do that. <laughs> There is an interesting and active sort of uh, underground set of of agitators at Liberty that I, I think are a very interesting subculture. You should definitely make friends with them. Do it. Because <laughs> their parents forced them to go there. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of people it's at Liberty who went there because their parents forced them to go there or they didn't have another option. There's also plenty of people there because they wholeheartedly believe in the mission of the university and what it stands for. But – but the institution, I, I don't actually think you should go to the theater program to support the poor gay kids who are stuck in that program. I do think it's worth when you think about your relationship with this institution, differentiating between the institution and the students who are there who may or may not believe in what that school is stands for, but who may or may not have other options. Just bear that in mind. Hmm. All right. Uh, one last time, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, email us at slate.com or give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, which is exactly what I am being by <laughs> constantly talking about how awesome the Liberty Mountain Snowflake Center is. <laughs> Let's move on to the part of the show where we recommend exciting Four-season snow activities for our listeners to participate in. I call it recommendations. Jamila, do you have a recommendation for us today? This week, um, I recommend spending time away from your children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One, because I'm running out of child things to suggest uh, three weeks into the podcast because I haven't seen my child. And, you know, aside from her hanging up on me. Um, but no, but I will say that as hard as it is being away from her, like this time is, has been in a lot of ways, very valuable to me. And I've been able to do a little party and bullshit and some, you know, working out and meditating and, and getting stuff done. But particularly when I think of single parents, I know I have a somewhat unique situation, um, because my little one divides her time between households and the way that she does. And and because we have always functioned as two households as opposed to, you know, instances. And 50% custody is not the norm, you know, even for di- divorced families at all. Um, you still so you're still a lot more often to come across families that have, you know, weekend dad situations or, you know, dad gets these days out of the week and the rest of the time or the month and the rest of the time he's with mom. And I just want to keep encouraging particularly single parents who have a former partner or co-parent who is capable of taking on more of the, the um, responsibilities and, and the time involved in parenting to consider, you know, dividing time up a little bit closer to evenly. It doesn't have to be 50-50, but um, I, I just think it's good for your your health, for your sense of self, for your ability to have a, a life outside of your child, and for you to be um, happy, healthy, and whole when you are with your child. Uh, this is particularly for the mommies out there that are primary uh, custodial parents that find time to be away from your kids. And that also goes to other parents as well, particularly married or partnered moms, you know, who so often are, are carrying the lion's share of the, the child rearing and the care of the house. And, you know, oftentimes, in addition to having a, a nine to five or some sort of uh, professional career, get away from your kids. 
Get away from your kids. Everyone will be better for it. You know, it's not about abandoning your responsibilities. It's not about saying, I don't want to be around them. I don't like being around them, you know, or that you have to feel that way to need some space. But I think that in that space, we develop a version of ourselves that allows us to be better, uh, better mothers. I agree completely. And I know that we became single parents originally in different ways, but I always call the hidden benefit of divorce (laughs) the one where uh, you then have time, even if it's just to go get shit done, like go to the post office. You just have the time to do it. Mm -hmm. It's the best. And it really is recharging. And I definitely became a better parent when I stopped spending 100% of my time with them. So I tell people that don't have that situation, like, find ways to not spend 100% of the time. That's great advice. Thank you. I would like to recommend something that most people can't do. So I'm going to go ahead and recommend a second thing that you all mostly can do. Uh, One thing that's really fun, if you're ever visiting New England and you find yourself in the Upper Valley region of New Hampshire and Vermont, which is about an hour from where I live and work, Go to the Simon Pierce factory and go downstairs and watch all of the young glass blowers blow glass. It's super fun. My kids loved it when they were little. I still love going there as an adult. They have a really nice restaurant there too. So you can like have lunch and stuff. But like you get to watch glass blowers in action, which I cannot stress to you how fucking cool it is to watch people blow glass, which is why I'm recommending for everyone else who's never going to end up in Queechee, Vermont and going to the Simon Pierce factory. To watch the awesome show Blown Away on Netflix, which is a new uh, competitive reality show about glass blowers making shit. And like, it's such a weird and niche handcraft <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's completely fascinating to watch this thing that like none of us will ever do <laughs> or try. And just to see the people who are really into it, doing it and trying new things. And the other really wonderful thing about Blown Away on Netflix that I am really loving is seeing people that I completely can't relate to who are super comfortable sweating like 100% of the time. Because <laughs> blowing glass is like hot, hot business. It's really hot where I live right now. We're in the midst of a heat wave. I was watching Blown Away last night. It was like 90 degrees on my couch. I swear to God, I felt cool by comparison watching these people like sweating their asses off blowing this glass. Right. It was like at a least weird you're not at a 1,000 degree <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm not standing outside of a kiln, like blowing right. air into a piece of glass. Anyway, I would check out the show, Blown Away on Netflix. My kids have really like kind of been sitting on the couch and watching it with us. It's one of those funky, niche reality competition shows where everyone's actually nice to each other. And uh, it's the episodes are short, so it's a super easy watch. It's fascinating. Or... Go to Queechee, Vermont, go downstairs at the Simon Pierce factory and watch some people blow glass. That's my recommendation. I would pile a recommendation on top of that, which is uh, I only know about this Netflix show because of a great piece that Slate.com ran earlier this week, um, uh, which noted that on Blown Away, for those people who watch Blown Away, this may be the first time that you've encountered the fact that that 1,000-degree furnace is called in glass blowing a glory hole. That's right. And so we ran a very important investigation. Who invented the glory hole, glass blowers or gays? Uh, it's by Rhodes <laughs> Murphy. It's yes. on Slate. It ran just a few days ago. It is a fascinating historical journey through language, uh, queer culture in times when it was hidden and prescribed, and of course the history of glass blowing. It's really a fantastic piece. I can't recommend it enough. We'll post a link on our show page. Uh, all right, great recommendation. I have a recommendation. Uh, it's a it's a exciting sneak preview recommendation. I would like to know, Jamila and Rebecca, were either of you Babysitters Club readers when you were kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I also was a Babysitters Club reader when I was a kid, even though uh, in the eighties, not a lot of boys were reading those books, but I really liked them. Um, and now, uh, Audible dot com. Uh, has recorded audiobooks of all 131 <laughs> titles in the series. Oh, wow. And they're all coming out on August 13th. All 131 of them are being released. Um, it's like a, a, a massive undertaking that this company has, has gone through. Um, but anyways, they sent me some of them and I listened to a few and they are 
you know, predictably totally charming. Um, they're mostly read by professional audiobook narrators, although Elle Fanning, the actor, reads the first five books in the series, uh, you know, Christie's Big Day and uh, a couple of the other ones. Um, and listening to them, you know, Harper loves uh, the comic book adaptations of these that came out recently that Raina Telgemeier and now other cartoonists do. And I just have to say that this middle grade series is very durable. Like between mm. those comics adaptations and these audiobook versions, the Babysitter's Club holds up way better than a lot of other media for kids from the 80s and 90s. Like it remains wholesome and full of good lessons and and not really particularly gender normative and uh and sweet like they're just very good so i i i recommend the babysitter's club on audible it's coming out on august 13th it would be great for a late summer road trip with a kid if you want to listen to something together in the car can i piggyback on that because yeah. there is a really fun podcast which is not for kids called the babysitter's club club which is two dudes talking about the Babysitter's Club, and it's hilarious. <laughs> I really, really love it. And if you are an adult like us who listens to it, I mean, maybe you could let kids still listen to it if you want to, but there's mild adult stuff. It's called the Babysitter's Club Club, and it's really fucking fun. <laughs> I have a random thing I've been curious about, but I haven't like taken a, a moment to, to find out the answer. So mo I feel like many of us who read the Babysitter's Club and the Babysitter's Club Little Sister, which I also read, um, graduate. It was about Christy's little annoying sister with the glasses. Um, I feel like a lot of us graduated into Sweet Valley High after that or read them concurrently. And I wonder mm. if a, a modern day version of uh, that series, because I've seen that they've, you know, released them with new covers and stuff over the years. But back then they described Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield as being a perfect size six. And which was, of course, problematic even then to, you know, I mean, as a chubby kid, I remember reading that and feeling all types of uh, weird about it. But I wonder if in, the in you know, 2019, would they have changed that to a perfect size double zero, you know, or, <laughs> or would they or I mean, it'd be nice to think that at this point now that it's, you know, woke is on trend that they would have um, eliminated that language altogether. But it's, it's certainly hard to imagine that, you know, even 10 years ago that they would have pose size six as a standard when now, you know, that sort of girl in the popular culture would be presented as much smaller than that. Hmm. It's like poor George in Nancy Drew, right? Like poor chunky George or whatever mm -hmm. they used to call her, like sturdy George. Sturdy. <laughs> just sturdy. Uh, I just did some Googling and I can tell you that, um, <laughs> that Brittany Daniel who played Jessica Wakefield in the uh, Sweet Valley High TV series, mm -hmm. um, has been telling every media outlet that would listen that a reboot is absolutely going to be in the works. Oh, She's boy. been saying that for at least six years. Oh. So <laughs> my guess is it's She's going to play the mom? <laughs> because she was about 25 when she shot the original. <laughs> That's right. I remember it. Beautiful girl. But they were not... Young girls. They were adults. Uh, I think, I mean, I would never bet against any pop culture franchise being rebooted, and it likely will Fair. happen someday. Uh, I do think it's a tricky one to do right now. Yes. yes. Mm. Eventually someone will try. Maybe it'll even be good. You never know. Well, maybe they'll make them gangbangers like they did Archie and Veronica, and uh, which I have not been able to watch because like, I read about it, and I was like, wait. Am I high? Like, <laughs> this is about gangs? <laughs> suburb gangs? <laughs> I can't do this. The dreaded <laughs> suburb gang. Uh, all right. Good recommendations. Thank you, guys. That is our show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Jamila Lemieux and Rebecca Laboy, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.